Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Billy Moore podcast. And my special guest today is film analyst Rob Eager. So, Rob, thanks for coming along and, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, first of all, Billy, it's fucking good to see you, mate. (laughs) Thank you. And you too. We went to school together back in the day. And I don't know if you remember, but the first day when I came to St. John's was in second year. We were in the same form class. You were the very first person I sat next to on my first day in that school. Do you remember that? You lucky bastard. <laughs> yeah, so um, that always stuck in me, me head. That, I always remembered you for that, like, you know. Yeah, so it's and good, I'll, good I'm to glad. 32 years ago, I think, or 33. Uh, 30, like it's that. a long time ago, isn't it? Wow. Yeah. I mean, and, and I'm, I met you uh, recently again through somebody mentioning you on, on the podcast. I said, uh, do you know Rob Eager? He's a, I'm sure he went to school. Yeah, he's done a film review of the movie. So I thought, okay, wonder what he's, uh, wonder what he's, he's, he's said about it. <laughs> and I said, obviously he has to search, but then we got in touch. So um, and you've got, I was quite surprised really. You've got over uh, almost one hundred and eighty thousand subscribers, and yeah, it's close to it. It's now, it's, yeah. it's 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 a it's big views, big numbers. How does the what how did all that come about from? Coming from school and uh, what happened in your life and what got what? Well, tell us a little bit about you. Long, long story. I mean, I, I could. I mean, some of your audience won't really know about the stuff that I do. So, I mean, I could start off explaining that and then go to how that happened from school because it's a lot in between. Yeah. Um, should we do it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, basically, the the film analysis stuff is um, it's something I never expected to do with my life. I mean, when we were in school, there was no internet, was there? No. So you had no anticipation of things like this. And, um, well, I don't know if you remember, but I was always mad into me films. I was always obsessed with one film or another. One, one year it was Blade Runner, the next year it was Aliens, and, you know, I was always mad on me films. And uh, it was me dad who made me like that. But um, I got into filmmaking uh, a long time after leaving school. Like, I was about maybe 27 years old when digital video cameras came cheap on the market, like, you know, mm. they were sort of new out, and it was like, wow, now anyone can make films and edit at home. Before that, you had to be like rich and go to university and stuff to, to get into filmmaking. So it was always, I always wanted to do filmmaking from when I was younger. Um, but I felt like I didn't have the opportunity until all the, the di- digital technology came along. So I started making short films and stuff, you know, like uh, half-hour short films, yeah. proper scripting them and all that kind of stuff. And uh, at the same time, I, I'd been working in like mental health and uh, I was working in probation and stuff. 17 years working in all that kind of thing, working with the homeless, abused kids, all kinds. And while I was doing all that, I was reading tons of psychology books and things, you know. So I was trying to combine those two, um, all the stuff I was learning about the psychology with filmmaking. And uh, so I started like doing all subliminal things in the films I was doing, you know. Uh, instead of just uh, making it all based on dialogue. And um, then I started noticing that a lot of the best filmmakers over the years, Spielberg and Alfred Hitchcock. Stanley and Kubrick. Yeah. Kubrick, of course, uh, David Lynch, all of them. I started studying their films because I wanted to be a better filmmaker. Um, so I thought I'll study their best scenes and break them down shot by shot, every little detail, to figure out what makes these scenes so fucking good, you know? Yeah. So... Um, then that was a big revelation because I started to see all this stuff, clever little things they'd been doing in the films. And I was so impressed with it that I forgot about making my own films, basically. 
and I, I, YouTube had just come out at the time, uh, 2006. Mm. And uh, so I started a channel on there and I thought, I wanna post some videos telling people about the stuff I'm learning about these mo classic movies. And I thought at the beginning, I thought maybe I'll get a couple of hundred subscribers and it'll just be like pure film geeks or yeah. people who work in the film industry, uh, amateur filmmakers. And everyone else will just be like, get the freak there going on about these films. But no, there was a massive audience. First couple of months, 10,000 um, subscribers, dead quick. Even started getting a little bit of media coverage on some of the videos right away. And, um, and it just built up from there. And at the time, I don't, I'm not aware that there was any other YouTubers who were doing these kind of in-depth film studies. Nowadays, there's loads of them. But I think I was one of the first. I, mm. I don't know if I was necessarily the first. The only other one that I'm aware of is Red Letter Media. They've got a, a, something like a million subscribers. That's about four or five American guys. Uh, and they do film studies, but theirs are mostly funny stuff. They take the piss out of crap movies and stuff, mm. you know. Um, and th they are pretty good, but it's different to mine, which is more sort of academic. And uh, so, yeah, I was one of the first ones to do it. And then since then, it, all that stuff has exploded on YouTube. There's loads of corporate funded channels that bash out like five videos a week doing film studies. And some of them rip off my stuff. I've, I've had legal wranglings with one or two of them over the years where they've ripped me off and, and they've had to take the videos down or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, don't, I haven't got like the millions of subscribers they've got. But I've got my own hardcore following, and they always tell me uh, whether whether I bump into them in the street or whether they email. They always say there's nobody else doing this kind of stuff the way that you do it. Yeah. So I've I've got onto something that's unique. Um. So that's where I'm at at the moment, and um. So you know that that's all been going fantastic. Like it was great to find out that so many people were so interested in these movies. And, you know. Because yeah, because most of the movies that I've seen, um, um line that you've got up uh, like full metal jacket and i watched that the other day and i was quite intrigued and interested in how you you were guiding the audience yeah through the scene yeah you know like through the films yeah through, right through the film it's like a commentary in it yeah of, yeah and like alien and the, the old the old school that you said before blade runner yeah what 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 do you notice that the audience are missing well, it, it's partially because I used to make films myself. Yeah. Um, when I was doing the films, I mean, like most people in the film industry, they specialize in one thing. They either write or direct, or they're an editor, or a, a prop person, or a costume designer, or whatever. Yeah. Um, but a lot of the best filmmakers, the classic ones who make those kinds of movies that you mention, they're involved in all aspects of the filmmaking, and they put their print on every aspect of it. Like with Alien, uh, Ridley Scott, he was the cameraman on Alien. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons that movie looks so fucking amazing. Even by today's standards with all the, the fancy gadgets and all the rest of it, that every shot of that film looks fantastic because he personally filmed it. Um, and so you get like a level of uh, quality there that you don't get when everyone's split into compartmentalized yeah. members on the crew. Um, but also, I mean, when I was making the short films, I was involved in everything as well. I was writing, producing, directing, editing. Um, and I did one low-budget feature film with about 30-odd people on it. But I was in charge of every fucking aspect of the film, you know. How was that? Set, set designs and everything. The whole lot, I was doing the lot. Was that hard, difficult? Hard work, yeah. It took a lot of work, but so much fun. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, what I found when I was doing that was... 
I mean, first of all, I learned to put my own print on it, you know, so when I'd be picking out the costume designs, I'd be thinking about the characters and I'd be thinking, what do I want to communicate about the character through the costume? Because you can say things about a person just with things like that, you know. Um, and with the set designs, the lighting, the colour, everything can have meaning in a film mm. if you apply yourself to it creatively, you know. And it, so, because I was doing that with my own films, and I, I thought I was being dead clever with it, wasn't yeah. I? You know, <laughs> but it turns out there was others who were doing it way fucking better than I yeah. <laughs> could. Like you know, so when I started studying like the old Hitchcock films and and things like that, some of the things I was finding blew me fucking head off. Really? Uh, yeah, I mean stuff that like I was like, how the fucking hell did I never ever notice that? Uh, example, right? A bit of a funny one, this. But you remember Hellraiser? Yeah classic yeah uh, you know clive barker was a scouser who made that no yeah he's a scouser he's from Childwall. is he um yeah and um <laughs> it doesn't surprise me that a scouser would make a hard-hitting film like that 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 you know sort of um crosses the boundaries so yeah. much you know um well in hellraiser I, I mean you probably haven't seen the film for years but there's a scene where a, a young girl in it a wall opens in the hospital and she walks down and then this monster chases her down the hallway. I don't know if you remember that scene. Do you know what? It's a long time ago, and I did watch all those old classics. Because yeah. I remember uh, when I lived in Speak, there used to be a, a fella just turning up in his car with loads of uh, D, uh, videos, like VHS back in the Rent, boot rent of, them yeah. from someone's yeah. boot, the boot yeah, of the car. I remember that, yeah. used to rent them from the boot of someone's car. Yeah, so I mean, it'll be copies, like, but, you know, that'll be Hellraiser yeah. and... Fucking El Commando and all them films you're on there. Well, anyway, the Hellraiser one, um, th that scene in that, I mean, a lot of people watching will, will remember the scene, but this creature chases this girl down this uh, this corridor. And there's a lot of sexual stuff in that Hellraiser film you probably remember. Um, well, anyway, the, the, the creature is basically a, a big cock. It's yeah. a penis. It's a long creature with a thin sort of bulbous head and it's chasing her. It is basically a big erect penis. And I saw that and I was like, whoa, how the fuck did... I've never heard of this before. I never yeah. noticed it. And I went and looked at the script and the way Clive Barker laid it out in the script, what the, the creature looked like, I was like, fucking hell, this guy's smart. Yeah. You know, and the whole film's chock full of stuff like that. So, um, so yeah, discovering all those things, it's like, I, I can't keep this to myself. I want to share this, let people know about all this interesting stuff, you know. So uh, doing the videos on it, you know, people love it because they're, they're, they're getting to see something that they, they don't find anywhere else online. And uh, the reception's been fucking brilliant over the years. Um, I mean, I get academics mm. writing to me, like PhD academics, you know, and they're, they're like fans, lawyers and uh, PhD doctors, and I love the videos. And even psychologists are writing to me and saying, love the stuff. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I get like uh, film teachers um, in film schools, uh, email and saying, "Can I show this video to the class?" And, and they'll go and like show them as part of the course in the class. And it's like, "Wow, this is great," you know. Um, and then sometimes I get people who work in the film industry um, get in touch as well. And sometimes people who've actually worked on the films that I've reviewed, and uh, they tell me all kinds of interesting stuff. So it's been awesome. And it, you know, I've been doing this stuff since uh, 2006, and I would have thought that I got bored of it now, but. No, I haven't. I still love it. You told me that you'd left your job and, and everything, to, and, and this actually supports you. Well, this this the thing is that I sort of crossed it over many years. It yeah. was, um, when I started doing the stuff, I knew it was going somewhere, but I didn't want to take the financial risk, so I continued to work part-time 
Um, and I was doing all the video stuff part-time on the side. So while I built that up, I was earning my money uh, part-time and doing all the mental health stuff and all that. And um, as the income gradually started to build up, then it was like, oh, fuck the job off now, you know. Yeah. But I had to wait until I was certain about it, you know, especially, I mean, I've got a seven-year-old daughter now, and yeah. when you got a kid, you can't take those kinds of risks, can you? you know? Financial security or insecurity is going to fucking... Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't mind living in poverty myself. Yeah. Couldn't give a shit, because I <laughs> kind of come from it Still myself. Do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Doesn't bother me. Um, you know, all this stuff about uh, going around with like, expensive clobber and uh, yeah. showing off an expensive car, I couldn't give a fuck about that. <laughs> it's like, that's not who you are, you know, no. so... Um, so yeah, it's it's been a, an awesome journey. There's been tons of stuff has gone on in between when we were at school, and uh, w- where I'm at these days. And um, it was interesting when I was I saw your movie and I saw your podcast you did with the Geordie guys. Yeah. And I was like, Big Brian, wow, yeah. that's Billy from school. No way. And you always had an edge to you in school. You know, I See, al- I always liked that about you. I said to I said I said to my partner yesterday he was going to do an interview with Robin. I said, isn't it strange that other people can see things, you know, from years ago that you never kind of knew? And you were telling me stuff, and I was like, wow, was that? What was I telling you? Just about the way I was, and, uh, and I was always getting involved in fights. And yeah, uh, you were in loads of fights at school, yeah, yeah. and not, not necessarily your fault either. I know, and that's something that, that, that I picked up on. It's like, I, I was probably subjected to a lot. You was, yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the basic thing I remember is that you were from Speak, yeah. and that was unusual. And uh, I always felt for you on that level in school, you know, because you were the first person I met in school. Mm. And uh, when I saw some of, like, the hostility you got, I was like, fucking hell, he doesn't deserve this, like. And, um, but you took it and you gave back, mm. you know what I mean? And you were always doing the weights and stuff, and I didn't want to mess with you. You yeah. were always doing the boxing and everything. I thought, don't fucking mess with Billy, like, you know. Mm. And uh, to be honest, mate, you know what? I think that was part of the issue in school. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't just that you were from Speak. You had an edge to you. And I think maybe some of the other lads might have felt a bit threatened by that. Like, mm. so they sort of gang up on you a bit, like, you know. Yeah. Uh, that, that's what I remember anyway. You might remember that differently. There was, there was, I, I just remember, like, you know, that old, that old saying as a kid, sticks and stones may break your bones, but names will never hit you. And it was the name calling that killed me off. Yeah. Do you know, um, you know, being from a different part of the city, having to travel to a school up in Garston uh, and not feeling a part of it. Yeah. F- not feeling like I'd fitted in. And getting calls all kinds of uh, fucking horrible names, really. You know, and I, at a young age growing up, you know, we... It damages you at that does, age. It does, yeah. you know, and, and I, um, it affected me because it, what that did, and I hope that people who, who uh, even, you know, young, young lads watch this, you go to college, you know, be aware that, you know, you could have an impact on someone's mental well-being, and we were there's not there's no such thing as mental health back in the day, was there? No, no one gave a shit. No one like, <laughs> no one acknowledged mental health. It was like he's on a bend or he's crazy or he's a loon. Yeah. That was it. Yeah, right. For me, I felt like it, 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 I was getting isolated with all the the like the, the, um, the you know the horrible name calling and stuff, uh, and that separated me from society as a whole. Yeah, I think. To be fair, that took me down a path that I went. Resentments were building up, um, anger, you know, and, and the fuck it's kicking in. Yeah. And where you went on a different path, I suppose that, you know, uh, we've all got our life mapped out in front of us, haven't we? In a, in a sense. Well, you know what? It's, it's, I mean, like, my life hasn't been nearly as violent as yours, nowhere near it, like, you know, uh, I mean, I've, I've 
I could say that just based on school, never mind everything you've been through since. Yeah. Um, but I was affected psychologically. I mean, people were brutal back then. The, the name calling was fucking awful. And it wasn't just being a victim of it. We mm. all got sucked into it. Some of the things I said to people back then in, in mid-teens and that at school, and so, well, in and outside of school, some of the things I said to people back then, taking the piss out of them, horrible. You know, and mm. I think back and I think, Jesus, if I bumped into so-and-so from school back then, I, I think I'd just fucking say, you know, I'm really, really fucking sorry, please. You know, Forgive me, you know. Yeah. Um, it's a funny one because... Um, I don't know if you're aware, but there's a, there's a St. John Allman's uh, Facebook page now. I've seen it, yeah. 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 yeah, I went on there and I told them on there, I said, oh, look, Billy's the, yeah. the, the movie and stuff, and they were all made up, you know. Um, but something interesting I found going on there, and some of the old teachers are from there. I'm not going to mention names. Yeah. A certain PE teacher who was dead funny is on yeah. there. He's always there all the time. Funny guy. And um, something that popped up time and time again in the, the St. John Allman's Facebook page was that a lot of people were going on and talking about how hard a time they had at school and they were saying, this teacher fucking did and said this and mm. these people gave bullied me and blah, blah. And it's like 30 years later and they're still affected by it. Yeah. And you can see it's damaged their lives, you know. Um, so yeah, it was a common thing and I was subjected to it as well. I had a lot of it inside and outside of school. I had people who were horrible to me and um, my confidence fucking fell through the floor around about the time I left school, I was about 15 or 16. And uh, I knew I didn't want the lifestyle, you know, with all the drugs and it, because yeah. everything was fucking drugs and crime back then. You either did that or you were a fucking wuss, basically. Yeah. And uh, my mates outside of school, they, they weren't from St. John's, most of them were from New Ace. Um, which is pretty the much the enemy, weren't it? Yeah, it was yeah. the enemy, but it was the same type of school, yeah. really. Same, same problems <laughs> yeah. and that, you know. Um, same problems as St. John's and that. But um, I, I had to get away from it all because, I mean, I was lucky in that when I was seven years old, I was born in Netherly, lived mm. there till I was seven. And, you know, at, in those times, Liverpool was rough and it stayed rough until at least 1990. Still is rough, really, isn't yeah. it? Um, but I would have gone down a really dark path as well, probably similar to your type of thing. But because I was lucky that when I was seven, uh, my dad was a psychiatric nurse and we went to live in Canada and we lived there for five years. So I got to see a, a very different way of life. The people over there were much more polite and caring and nice, mm. but they didn't have the Scouse edge. They didn't have the humor that we got here. That's the price in it. You got the humor, but you got the cruelty yeah. with the Scouse culture. Um, so... I'd experienced that for five years, and then when, when I was about 12, we came back to Liverpool, and I got the shock of my life going to schools in Liverpool. Suddenly, it was yeah. all skinheads who were hard as fuck, who wanted to fight all the time, and I had to adapt. And get, it's just a culture shock, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I had to adapt and get back into it, and my way of dealing with it was, instead of becoming a hard fucker, because I was never a hard fucker in school, um, I, I wouldn't say I was one of the fucking, the wusses who got knocked around or anything, but... My way of dealing with it was to just have a fucking laugh. Mm. You know, um, I, I used to do a lot of stupid things in school for entertainment value. And I found, like, any bullies in school, they'd just go, oh, Rob's, he's all right, eh, guys, a laugh. Yeah. You have a laugh with him, he's sound. But there was, there was, like, a few bullies back then, wasn't there, that we could, I remember? My, my way of dealing with all that was I, I got away from everyone. Uh, yeah. I must have been about 18, maybe 19 years old. And we moved away from Garston. I moved away with my dad. We went and lived up in... Um, in, in um, Walton. Yeah. Uh, not that Walton's any better, <laughs> but I didn't know anyone up there, so I wasn't involved with all, like, gangs of lads knocking on the door. You're coming out to fucking 
fucking have a, a spliff, blah, blah, you know, all that kind of stuff. Because everyone just wanted to fucking get high all the time. That was you? the opposite, for me. Yeah? Yeah, because we moved from Speak to the South End in Soxtiff. Yeah. And it was like, uh, we left at like an early age. And for me, again, I didn't know anyone, but I wanted to meet everyone. And by doing that, I met all the wrong people. Well, there you go. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is, I didn't want to meet everyone. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'd seen the path that all my mates were going on. And because I knew a bit different, because I'd lived in Canada, I knew there was another way of living. Yeah. And I felt sorry for my mates in a way. I mean, because... That, that was all they knew, you know, and I, and it's not that I was any better than them. I just, I'd been lucky enough to see something else. And so um, I moved up the other end of the city with my dad. And by that point, I, I'd had like a massive identity crisis um, about whether I wanted to be in the scally life or not, um, what I wanted to do in my future. I felt like I had no fucking prospects. Um, I had no qualifications, didn't have any fucking skills or confidence or nothing like that. So what the fuck do I want to do in my life? And it was a really dark place to be. And I ended up seeing a psychiatrist at the time as well. Mm. Um, and he was like, there's nothing actually wrong with you. Nothing cognitively, anything like that. You're just fucking depressed and down as fuck, you know. And um, so, yeah, I ended up uh, living, uh, moved into a bed sit on my own in Anfield. And, uh, you know, just like one room, your living room is your bedroom or the kitchen, and the toilet and all that. And... I lived there for about two years, and I'd say like for the first six six months or so, I was reading tons of self-help books, psychology books, and all that, because no one ever gave me any encouragement back then, and you probably have the same thing. There was no role models uh, to show you a better way of living. No, definitely um, not. No. It, was, it was a severe lack of them. And, um, but I found those role models in these books I was reading, you know, and books like, um, you know, like famous self-help books, like, uh, what was it, um, how to Win Friends and Influence People. That was a famous book from about, that was from before I was born, I think. And then stuff like Tony Robbins uh, mm. with uh, Awaken the Giant Within and um, stuff like that. And so I was reading all that kind of stuff and that was giving me the motivation. Um, and at the same time, I was trying to sort out my own problems. I had a lot of psychological problems back then. And, and uh, some of it was nothing to do with all the scally thing. I had all the problems that were going on. Um, I was pretty fucked up. And so I was studying all these psychology books and things and self-help things. And counsel, Have you ever read books. The Road Less Travelled? I've heard of it, but I've not yeah, read it. That's probably a good one. It's a good one, one yeah. 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 I've read that, and it's probably... I mean, still today, I find books that help me out and yeah. teach me new things. Like, you know, I, I'm, I'm not sorted yet. I'm st I've still got my little fucked up things I'm trying to sort. You're not alone, eh, mate? It, it, it carries on forever, doesn't it? it? Does. But um, So, yeah, I, I've just blitzed all these books and started figuring out what was fucking up with me mentally and started like um, uh, changing, like get, getting a different view on my memories and getting rid of all the anger and hostility and all the name call and shit that we all went through mm. um, that had damaged us. I started to put that into context and deal with it. And I learned how to not give a fuck what other people think, you know, even like a gang of fucking lads just like taking a piss, having a laugh at you. Yeah. I got to a point where I didn't give a fuck about stuff like that. And it was like, people, lads could do that. And I'd just be like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Sound, you know. And then that takes the fire out of them because when, whenever you had that kind of stuff, and I did it to other people as well in school. We'd absolutely rip the piss out of people. But um, when people respond and they don't give a fuck, you lose your motivation to attack them. Yeah. So that was an important thing, was learning to just think for myself and uh, not give a fuck what other people think. Well, that's like going on, on identifying with what you said. It's like, I was talking to, to a few of the lads in the gym and the big hombres, you know, the big, big lads and that. 
and we would talk about how do we feel because in this day and age there's kids out there who are 13 that'll just stab you yeah, yeah. stab you in the neck whatever and you're gone yeah what i mean so it's about how do you react to a situation if you go in a shop or you you're just walking down the road or getting out your car and someone says something to you and and one of these kids went you know what mate and he's a big lad he went and he's not soft he went let's just go yeah all right lads yeah i'm not better move on he said just accept yeah, it he just why said, not yeah. he said because it's your ego and it's your pride yeah that gets involved your pride will get you killed yeah done you know, right both of them your ego and your pride you know hey the fuck does he think he is <laughs> um i'll show him next thing you, you, you're lying on a fucking hospital slab yeah that's 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 the reality of um of your ego and your pride defo i mean i i sort of um came to a similar conclusion on that really based on working in the mental health for years because uh i was working with a lot of criminals you know uh, yeah. and worked with pedophiles and all kinds of stuff like mean, it's fucked up people and some of these people were like pretty intimidating and mm. like because they were nuts and like psychos are scary because you don't know what they're going to do you know yeah. and they know how to use body language to intimidate and all that stuff so years working in that i was bouncing around working in different environments doing all that kind of stuff and i was exposed to loads of people who had the potential for violence and i saw a lot of kickoffs i was involved in some kickoffs as well in that field um but i sort of started to learn about ways of dif diffusing situations like that and um the one I found the most powerful was humour. Mm. If you can get someone... People find it hard to be angry and amused at the same time. Yeah. It's hard. When you laugh, there's a release, isn't there? The yeah. anger just goes. So you, you get gangs of fucking arseholes who are just, like, ripping into you. Yeah. If you turn it into a joke, like like you said, yeah, I'm a fucking knobhead or whatever, yeah. they'll laugh at that and they go, oh, he's all right, him. Yeah. And it's, it's almost like a test what lads do in this city. They take the piss out yeah. of strangers. Banter, that goes a yeah. little bit. And if your ego gets flared up, they go, oh, let's fucking batter them. Yeah. But if you just have a laugh with it, they go, ah, sound I'll, mate, you're onto it. I was in this, I was in this rehab, I'm not mentioning which one, it was in Essex, it was out of the way. Um, and we'd done something called, um, I was going through the fucking, going through the shit at the time, like, you know what I mean? We'd done something called uh, DBT, right? I don't know if you've ever heard of What's this. that stand for? Dialectical behaviour therapy. Okay. Right. So um, I've never heard of it. I've heard of CBT and, and, and twelve steps and stuff. That yeah. Self-aware stuff that helps you develop emotionally and grow in them areas and become aware of how you behave and how you interact and how you respond and all that stuff that goes on in life that we need to deal with. Yeah. But this was like how to diffuse. Some one of these uh, lessons was how to diffuse uh, a volatile situation. And it was like, hi, big, huge smile, palms facing out of town, right? Leg forward in this stance. And I was like, are you fucking having a laugh? How's that going to defuse anything? If I'm standing in a crack den, arguing with someone, right, over a pipe, right, and they go, hi, right? <laughs> Do you think you're taking the piss out of Non threatening, <laughs> and I'm saying that, non threatening stance. How are you? I go, get a fuck, you get battered, you know what I mean? So, it, it's I think I don't know I I, I like the, the idea of how to diffuse situations um, with a bit of humour because that's all I ever did. Well, I mean, there's there's, there's no there's no um, approach that fixes every situation. No. it depends on the the individual. Yeah, what well, the situation? Yeah, the, the, yeah. people have gone beyond uh, the anger. I mean, you've probably seen this in a lot of the films that you've analysed. You know what I mean, how how the directors have have, have sort of cultivated their characters mm. into a lot of this. You know, like like. 
Well, full metal jacket's a big one, isn't it? The way the suicide. Yeah. That was heavy, weren't it? It is, yeah. You know, and yeah. I was down to bu- being bullied in 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 a, a military establishment. Yeah. And uh, you know that um that scene in that film where they, they smash his chest in with the bars of soap and yeah. the tiles, did that really goes on? It's called a blanket party. Yeah. It really goes on in the Marines. But why? You it's fucking I mean? sick, isn't it? But yeah. it's a control mechanism, isn't it? To mm. you know, it's um I mean in in the film there's kinda like a thing where the drill sergeant set him up for that, didn't he? Yeah. The drill sergeant was like, Okay, I'm gonna punish you I'm gonna punish the whole Team. Collectively, as a yeah, as a team. When, when you fuck up, I'm going to punish everyone else. And basically, that was just telling everyone else to kick the shit out of him, mm. you know. And uh, so, yeah, that goes on in the military. So, you know, the video I did on that was all about the military brainwashing thing. Um, but it's funny that you get a lot of lads who grow up with that kind of violent thing. The mentality. Them, and a lot of them join the military for the um, the extreme violence. Uh, well, yeah, some do for that, but I think some join for like. Um, they want like a father role model. And they, get, they get, they get yeah. that from the, yeah, the discipline. They need some control in their lives. And uh, so they join the military because it's like, this will discipline me. This will keep me out of trouble. But mm. then you get brainwashed at my, the same time. Yeah, my so. brother was, uh, my brother, right? He was into Metallica and, and, and Iron Maiden. He had his hair grown long and he was like, <laughs> just not like anyone you'd ever think would join the army. And me, I was the opposite. I was going to join. I was in the, I was in the, um, the cadets, it was in the Royal Artillery Cadets, it was in Alcar, I was doing all that, all at Lee Enfield 303s, the, uh, the, the webbing on, you know, the, the, the 3 8 webbing, all, all, all yeah. that gear going on. And I ended up in prison, and one day he just snapped. A relationship ended with some girl he was with, and he fought fuck her, and then he was in the army for 27 years. Wow. He got out on RSM. Uh, so it, Did it, it help him, being in the army? Yeah. Yeah. Discipline, uh, travel. Uh, cultivated something within him. I mean, there are perks to it. A lot of people do well out of he being did, in the he army. Did, you know, I don't, don't, you know, he did witness, he was, you know, he'd been on a lot of tours, Afghan and Bosnia, and, mm. you know, he's been, he's been around because he was, he joined really young. So he'd seen a lot of action. Uh, he'd been in, you know, a lot of, you know, he's actually like his, his, his friends have been blown up and stuff. He's lost, they've lost lives and stuff. He's quite lucky. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's a bus driver now. All the best, our kid. I don't even think he watches these podcasts, but he do. <laughs> he's like, that's not enough. I've yeah. seen like a million times where you use a wuss as you. Seen fuck all, you kid. Uh, think you, yeah. you, you, you want to tie prisons, not and fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we've all had our different hardships. Yeah. And but uh, you know what? It's, it's funny. We're talking about the, uh, what was it, DBT you called it? Yeah. yeah. So did you find that completely useless? I did. Yeah. I yeah. did. I think it was, it was more to do with, my, basically, it was like a mindfulness group right yeah. uh, i think it was a, it originated from america it was some kind of form of a uh, therapy and i thought you know what if you start getting involved in all kinds of different therapy or therapeutic yeah holistic ways of trying to fucking live you're gonna end up confused yeah it can do that yeah i mean that, that's one of the things i found when i was reading all them books and i was i was practicing the stuff because i was doing the job working in all them environments and I was trying out the things that I was and I was looking at other staff who, you know. who were good at dealing yeah. with things and I was like learning things from them that weren't in the books and all that and then I was seeing other staff who'd fuck up and cause a kick off yeah. and I'd, I'd watch how it would happen and so I sort of slowly learned over years uh, all these different ways of communicating with all these troubled people you know and I got pretty good at it at dealing with um, people who were 
going to kick off and that, you know. Yeah. I mean, one of the basic things is um, you were talking about the pride thing. You know, don't, don't get into a pride competition with whoever it, the fuck it is. But, I mean, some of it is basic body language stuff, like someone starts kicking off and it's just like the shoulders always hunch up, the chest comes out. The neck, the they try and stand taller, like, you know. The cobra. Uh, the, the voice gets more intense and all that kind of stuff. And typically, to get to a point of a, an actual fight, the other person has to match that and do the same. They start fucking doing the same. And then they do it more. And as long as the chest gets higher and higher, mm. little details like that. And you, if you're ever in those situations, you're not aware of that stuff, but it's going on. And you wind each other up. And then eventually someone takes a swing and next thing you know, someone's fucking hurt. Um, so what I noticed was that like, whenever there was a situation like that, someone would come along and you'd start kicking off and blah, 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 and he'd always like move towards you, stare in your face and the voice would become very intense and stuff like that. And I started finding it, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily back down, but mm. I started finding it, if I just kept my body language just dead calm, relaxed, and my voice kept my voice sort of mellow and slow, if I talk slowly, then they had to slowly listen and it would force them to fucking calm down. Um, just things like that, you know. And um, so they'd be doing that escalating body language and I'd just be keeping mine in a nice monotone and it would freak them. They wouldn't be aware that I was doing it. But after a couple of minutes, they, they'd be ex coming to me expecting to get into a, a proper argument or fight. And after a minute or two of that, they'd be like, it isn't coming to that. And then they'd start just talking normally. And okay, what's the problem? So you've diffused yeah, a, a but, potentially volatile situation. But of situation. course, the other thing was that always give the person the benefit of the doubt that they've got a reason for kicking off. Mm. So, so what's the problem? You know, okay, let, let's deal with it. Just explain to me calmly what the problem is. But of course, this is in those environments, mm. you know, where, where you're a staff member and that. And it's with there's cameras. There's the sometimes, shape. sometimes there's cameras in the street. Sometimes this stuff works as well. I've had it happen in the street, but sometimes in the street it utterly fucking fails. Uh, I had one experience of that. I finished the night shift working in a pro um, probation hostel, and uh, I was walking along, along uh, Lodge Lane. I was walking home because I lived around the corner there. And um, it was like a Sunday morning, nine o'clock in the morning, streets were empty, you know. And I'm walking home and I heard, what the fuck are you laughing at? And there was this guy across the road, pretty stocky, with no top on. He wasn't dead tall. He was a bit short than me, but he was pretty fucking, more built than I was anyway. And I thought, oh, here's trouble. And there's no one else around, so he's got no witnesses, so he can just fucking have a crack at me, you know. And he comes storming over. And I'd dealt with situations like that um, in work and sometimes out of work, and I'd mm. always diffused it. But on this one occasion, there was nothing I could fucking do. This guy comes storming over, and when he usually they, they start approaching you, and within like, um, I don't know, maybe a few meters, they'll sort of stop, slow down, because they don't really want to fight. But when he got within a few meters and he carried on moving, I thought, oh shit, he is actually going to go for it. And he did. He took a swing. And um, I did that thing. Um, I, I didn't even know what it was called at the time, where you ride the punch, someone takes a swing, and you move your head in that direction, and it slows down the impact. And he clocked me right on the side of the jaw there, knocked me right over anyway. And um, when I was trying to get up off the ground, I sprained both of my wrists on the floor trying to get up, and I couldn't form a fist to fight back. So all I could do was block. And this guy was attacking me for about five fucking minutes, swinging all over the place. And I was just block, block, move away, block, block, block. And fucking hell, so when's this guy going to chill out? And then he started talking to me and it became clear he had a mental health problem. 
So anyway, long story short, uh, he got three months in prison because he attacked about fucking eight or ten lads that morning. He's just walking the streets, attacking any lad he saw. You know, so that was a situation where none of the techniques that I'd learned fucking came it's in just handy. Just off, lad. Honestly, <laughs> God, that's, that's what I was thinking as you saw sort of a fucking bite his lips well, off. That's it. I took a shock from yeah. that first blow, and then I couldn't form the fists. You know, but was that when the first he, time you've been attacked? Do you think? Because no, you know, no, I've been, I've been in other fights before. Like, but that was the first time a random person had come at me like well, in the street like that. Like, you know. targets as if for no reason. Yeah, yeah, but um, yeah, that was pretty scary. That like, but, but it's funny because like um, when it came to me senses and he walked off, then I got angry and I thought, fucking, God, I thought there's no one, and I grabbed a brick. Yeah, and I was like, I'm gonna smash this cunt's fucking head in. And I started following him, and I thought, he's not even looking back. I could brick this guy in the back of the fucking head and walk home. <laughs> I feel like Shane just shows up, to be fair, you know what I mean? He was mentally ill. Yeah. You know? and, and, he and shouldn't have gone to prison, you know. He should have gone to some sort of rehab or something. It's, it's, um, I, I, like, but at that moment, you know, it's anything can happen. Anything's yeah. possible. But the reason I didn't follow him and fucking hit him was because I thought, I'll get some compensation out of this. Mm. I didn't get none because I wasn't properly injured. <laughs> but I'm glad I thought that because... Yeah. If I'd have hit him in the head with a brick, that would have been that that's, could have put me in prison. That, and that, stuff, see, that's it? what didn't separate me from the, the men from the boys years ago. I wouldn't think uh, in that. Yeah, I wouldn't go through that process and play the tape a little bit forward and, and think this happens, that happens, that yeah. I'll just react bang in a minute. Uh, no matter what, that that had been that had been the pair of us on the floor rolling round. Yeah, someone losing a body part. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was in the busy car when um, when they when they finally got him. Loads of police were looking for him everywhere, and I, I was sat in the car over the road, and he was in the other car, and the busies had stamped on his head in the street because he he was resisting arrest, so they put him in the car, and he was rocking back and forth, you know, like mentally ill, fucking, like he was. I don't know if he was on something, and he was yeah. spitting on the windows, and I could hear in the the um, the radio in the car what he was saying in the radio in the other car, and he was saying, "Look, officers." All I want is violence. That's what he said, word for word. Not normal, like, no, <laughs> fucking no. hell. <laughs> so, you know, you've talked about mental health and how you work with it and how you deal with it. That's important. So, getting back to some, um, some, some of your film reviews, I know you've, you've, you've reviewed mine. What was your thoughts on that? Because how did you come across that? My cousin... Uh, Martin, who was in the year above us, I won't say his last name. I, th I think we said we weren't going to say people's names from school. But I mentioned no names. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, that was my request on it. But <laughs> uh, so my cousin, who was in the year above us, he sent me a link to your Geordie podcast thing. He said, "Fucking hell, Billy from your years, and they've made a movie about him." So that's how I found out. You know, yeah. and, uh, and then instantly I was like, "Okay, I'll watch this. I watched the whole podcast, and I was fascinated with that." And um, and then. I went and got hold of a copy of your film, watched that, and it was really good. And I saw the A24 films with this distributor, and they're yeah. the best distributor these days. They, they always put out the best films. So, uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I didn't do a video on your movie. Uh, I think I briefly mentioned it. Uh, maybe I might have been doing a video where I was talking about lots yeah, of new you films. Was, yeah, yeah, and that came um, up as one of them. Yeah, so, yeah, uh, I recommended that one. And... I mean, the, the film's very raw and very basic, isn't it? Yeah. It, it left me wanting more because yeah. I knew you from school and I was interested in the parallel between what you went through in school and what you went through in the prison. Yeah. And I don't know how much that occurred to you, um, but that was the bit that I was really interested in. 
Um, but I didn't get that from the film. Uh, but it was still a good movie anyway. Yeah, well, I think what the aim of it, right, was because there was no backstory. Yeah. There's no backstory to the film. It starts uh, in some old Thai fucking gym where there's a fight and then a nightclub and then you're in prison. That's it. Yeah. Right, that's it. And the director was quite clever. Uh, he removed the subtitles and that confused the audience, which he understood. Because if the audience were confused, then he knew the character was confused. Yeah, yeah. Also, so with me or Joe Cole playing the role of me, he was like, what the fuck are they saying? And the audience are thinking, what are they, what, what are they talking about? So it, it, it kind of immerses you in that. It's a, it's a very immersive film, yeah, it's, definitely. Yeah, yeah. You, you feel like you're involved. Yeah. Uh, it's the, 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 the edits were long. Yeah. You know, uh, there was no Which I always like. I hate yeah. it when films are over-edited. There was a, yeah, there was no edit. It was just a long, the long cuts. Uh, the fighting scene was, you know, the DOP, which is for those that don't know, is a director of photography. He was in the ring with a handheld camera, yeah, just following. That was how the fight scene was, yeah. And it was like there was no evidence. It was just long, yeah, long scenes. It was good. It was really fucking raw. Um, yeah. So I loved it on that level. Yeah. Um, I just felt like there was. That, that's one one of the reasons why when when I get my podcast started after I move out, I want to get you on there because I want I want to discuss. What, what you've been yeah, through. Yeah, we'll save be, that for yours. Because, then, because yeah. I knew you from school, I feel like I could ask you for some key questions, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah you're, you're so, welcome. Yeah. What was your, what was the best movie that you you felt that you'd seen or reviewed or who was your most favourite director, character? My favourite movie still today and it's been my favourite movie pretty much since I was nine years old is uh, Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior. Remember yeah. that one? Yeah. That was beast. Tina Turner? No, no, that was the third one. The second one was the dead violent one with the oil tanker chase at the end. And it's was low... an, heavy, an heavy film, that way, in it, back in the day. And it... it was... An, op- an apocalyptic kind yeah. of... It was, it was, that was the first movie um, that... That that film sort of really established the post-apocalyptic style with all the dirty, gritty look and all yeah. that, you know. Um, and loads of films tried to imitate it afterwards, but none of them succeeded. It was fucking amazing. Um, but now as a filmmaker, I look at it and I'm impressed even more yeah. because all those stunts and car crashes, there's no computer graphics. There's no miniature cars being smashed up or blown up or anything they fucking smashed up the real things you see an oil tanker crash and that's a real oil tanker that's being ran off the road and into the ground with a load of cameras around it mm-hmm. and when you read up about how it was uh, filmed they they didn't give a fuck about health and safety there'll never be another film like that again no. <laughs> you got guys jumping from one car to another and you can see how they're, they're moving before they jump they actually are scared these stuntmen yeah. and um, they could have fucking died and um, some of them were ending up in hospital for weeks, you know, smashed up a bit. And then once they get better, you know, the, the Aussies were mad. Straight back on the film shoot to do some more stunts. Um, so I just love the audacity of how they made that film. It's, um, the guts that they had to just film all this mad car crashes and stunts and everything. But then the story's fantastic as well. It's, I mean, I could go on about that movie. Yeah, all that it's, fucking no, it's interesting. I think yeah. one of my, uh, my like, favourite movie was, was True Romance. Oh, yeah, I remember that, yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Yeah, I've seen it. it Tarantino scripted it, didn't he, yeah? Scripted it, brilliant, yeah. brilliant. And it, yeah, it was just the way. that, that There was that monologue, that scene where Dennis Hopper is sitting in the chair with, uh, with Christopher Walken's, yeah. you know, he's uh, 
he's ready to just plug him. And he That's knows. fucking brilliant, that scene. <laughs> and he, he's talking about like Sicilians being the greatest liars and, you know, can you tell? It was just a fucking great scene. It was just a whole great movie. Brad Pitt and everyone was in that, weren't yeah. he? There's all kinds of um, old school actors in there that I was just flew to stardom because yeah. of that. I, I mean, that's... I mean, some of the stuff I do online, I'm always covering the old movies. Occasionally, I'll do modern ones. Mm. But the modern ones, I just find they haven't got the grit. I mean, the one they did on Your Life, that had the grit. Mm. You know, it was ballsy. And it wasn't trying to push any agenda down your throat or anything like that. Um, you know, it felt real, you know. The director, uh, Jean-Stéphane, he... He's, he immerses himself in every movie that he's ever made, right? The first one I'd seen him do was, uh, was called uh, Johnny Mad Dog, yeah. right? And it was uh, about African boy soldiers, I think he was in Liberia. And he actually lived with them for over a year. And he used non-actors yeah. as, uh, as cast. He casted non-actors and a few, a few actors that were involved as well. But that became what it became. And I watched it. Knowing that he was gonna be the director of this movie, but fucking hell, you know we got like great reviews. It was criticised really well. Yeah, Johnny Rotten Rotten Tomatoes and the IMBD. It was like it was a big number. I haven't read any bad reviews no. on it. Like yeah. it was, it was good reviews. And then he done the same on a prayer before dawn. Hmm. He lived in Thailand for a year and he casted uh. non-actors, ex-inmates. Uh, it was just a great. It was just he just immersed himself in that world. Yeah. And he's doing another one now with. Um, I don't know whether it's. Uh, I, I can't remember who it was. It was. I don't know whether it's Sean Penn or. I don't know. It's something to do with New York Ambulance Service. Now there's a new one on the on the cards. I can't remember who the actor was. Yeah. Uh, but that's. And that'll be a great one as well. Well, that's, I mean, that that's like a dead important thing because I've talked about this before. Like, um, uh, I mean, I've made a handful of films myself, but they, it was using like cheap technical equipment. There was no way I'd ever get a distribution deal with like, fil- I mean, I was making films that weren't even HD, yeah. you know. <laughs> and, uh, um, but I didn't give a shit about that. I just wanted to make stuff that was interesting. Um, but I've had like a lot of people ask me over the years, well, you know, other filmmakers, uh, amateur filmmakers you know i'm looking for inspiration i, I want to make a great movie and all that and they ask have you got any advice on that not that i'm some fucking big name director but they seem to respect me enough to ask and um there's a piece of advice i always give them which often gets frowned upon like whoa i didn't expect that and that is get some life experience yeah and make a film about something you've experienced in the real fucking world don't be trying to imitate yeah. tarantino or whoever um, and I mean that's what that director's doing what you say he goes and lives the life there gets to know it and so he's full of information about that environment and he's not imitating other filmmakers he's imitating life you know um, like I would love to make a film about all the, the rough culture in Liverpool back in the day yeah. Th- that could be a beast of a film oh, but brilliant. you brought up the key point there you couldn't do it with actors who weren't from Liverpool. You'd have to get the real deal scousers to play those parts, and they'd have to be scousers who lived in those times and knew it. And, you know, and I agree because I've um, see, I, I've read, I, my first book was um, the audio. Right, there's an audio book to the first one I played before done. There's an audio uh, book to it, and it was read by 
and Ron Scouser, he was putting on a Scouser accent. I was a kid from London, a uh, bit of an actor, you know, fair play to me, he's done what he's done, and that's what it was. Now, there is a second one called Fighting for My Life, yeah. and it's a follow on, but it's also, there's a lot of contributing factors as to why uh, I ended up in these situations uh, and the experiences and, and the comparisons of different prisons and different countries and different cultures and how it affected me as an individual uh, going through life. And they were sending me um, these two guys, little audio, because they're going to do an audio. Yeah. Both of them, I don't think they were from Liverpool, but they had a go at the accents and I was like, fucking hell, this is going to be like the first one. Now, my mate, he's an actor, being in Batman, he's been in, he's been in a lot of fucking movies. He's old school scouser he was from little jimmy in brookshire he was uh stephen walters <laughs> nice kid uh, he's he's done the audio for me yeah and he's just a sounds loads better it's just it's just authentic that's what we need yeah the authenticity you know i write this i sit down at a table in front of a computer and, and, and i'm fucking my fingers are killing me you know my mind's on overload and yeah. fucking trying to think because it's not easy to write a story write a book you know that writing yeah, scripts yeah. you know you've got to like okay the beginning the middle the end okay what's what what the, how's it going to work oh you can like, spend a fucking year writing one chrono- chronologically <laughs> it took me 14 months chronologically I'm going to do this I haven't sat there and went yes can you uh, write this while I dictate it please yeah yes my name's Billy and this is what I'm really as I grew up and I am um, yes da, 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 and, and then someone's doing all that <laughs> ah mate if you, if you want to write a book Right. If you want to write a book and you want an audience t- to believe in it, then you need to f- you need to pour your feelings into that. Absolutely. You yeah. need to yeah. that then paper that paper should permeate like everything about you. Yeah. Right. It's you. you know what I mean, it's not someone else it, because it it doesn't seem. And I think right. It's got to be your words as well. That's you know. the reason I believe I pray before dawn's on so well. Yeah. I do. I still get to say you know inboxes loads of DMs. Loved it, inspired and read the book. You know, it helped me a lot. I haven't read it yet, but I'm going to read it. And yeah. I, I feel like a fraud. I feel like an imposter because I've had all this, you know, I've had a bit of an unsavoury way of living. You know, not of my choosing. They say, oh, you know, choices. Well, what choices did we have? You said it earlier on, but there was no guidance. There was no support. I got the cane, yeah. right, in school. I don't know whether you did, right? I got the fucking cane, right? I got it four times in one eight once. Yeah. You were fucking bad enough to get it once. I got it four times. Like, what the f- You know what I mean? For robbing a bag of soldiers off the market and speak. And my ma blew me up and took me in. And Mr. Connor <laughs> looked like uh, he looked yeah. like a piece of cushion. You know, How old were you then? I must have been about seven. Oh, seven, seven right. Oh, seven and eight. Hell, that's a harsh age to get the cane, in it? Seven. Jesus. I was in junior school, seven, eight. Yeah. See, I was off in Canada being treated uh, exactly, nicely. Exactly, yeah. Treated. <laughs> but I was old seven and eight, and it was in St. Ambrose School, junior school as a kid. And I got the, I got regular, got, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm getting battered at home, I'm getting abused by kids, like and humiliated, and getting beaten by the teachers. No fucking wonder it turned out the way it, it did. It brutalises, yeah. There's no doubt no, about I, it. So, yeah. I, so there's the, these are the contributing factors. I didn't go. Everything was easy, and you know, fucking people, you know, it was hard, mate. It was, and um, you know, I, I suppose that the, the path that I chose was one of anger and resentment. And also to, to suppress the feelings and experiences yeah. I had growing up as a young kid with drugs. <laughs> and drugs, obviously, people know what happens then, you know, it leads to addiction. 
it leads to consequences and the consequences where prisons, institutions and almost death, violence, which is the world. No, I'm glad I don't live in that world no and more. It's, it's, it, I mean, it's not just a case of um, what's been done to you, but, you know, if people say you had choices, I don't see that there was much choice. Um, I was told by everyone when, when I was younger, in, in my teens, it's like it's not even worth getting qualifications because there's no jobs. Yeah. And there was fuck all jobs then. I used to go down to the, um, the job centre in, um, in Garston, you know, when I, I just left school, and there was thousands of lads living like nearby, and there'd be like about eight jobs, like trainee office junior or some shit like that. These crappy um, jobs, but there wasn't enough of them to go around. You know, there wasn't even a tenth of the amount that was needed to go around. Yeah. Um, so, and back then it was like the idea of going to university. It was like that's what rich kids do. Yeah. You know, I haven't got the money or whatever for that. You know. It's, it, it, I always felt, and I'm sure you felt the same way, that when I put on the TV and I saw people in business suits on the news and shit like that, that was like another world. That was an entirely separate world that I will never, ever be involved with that. Um, I can't be. I'm, I'm, I'm down here in the gutter, which is where they say I should be. And, you know, I was... We were, like, very oppressed, you know. Um, yeah, there was there was hardly any jobs. That, you know, there was a lot of poverty, and just the the social habits that were being put on you, peer pressure wise, were unbelievable. I mean, some of it was fucking hilarious as well. I mean, like, I don't know if I don't know if you were there when this happened in school, but the last day of fourth year, loads of us went to Garston Market and we we stole loads of eggs and tomatoes and shaving cream and all the rest of it. Fucking, we were walking back to school. Everyone had like two bags full of fucking shopping, went back to school. And then everyone had like a food fight in the, in, in the school on the last day. And it was fucking hilarious. Yeah. But at the same time, the social responsibility wasn't there. These poor sellers at the market, they didn't have two pennies to rub together. And that they were getting all the fucking food stolen by us. And um, that was kind of the, the attitude was that like, we're all in the gutter. We've got fuck all to look forward to. So let's yeah. just have a laugh by breaking all the fucking rules. Yeah, You know, let's just cause chaos just for, for the fun because we got nothing else to do you know that was I was probably hanging around on, on the fucking railway lines but <laughs> you were all doing that wasn't it? how old were you when you left school you left early did you fourth fourth year fourth year I don't, I don't even think I went into fifth I think did we go into fifth it was the fifth and sixth I can't remember uh, was it the fifth year I can't remember and I, I remember you left a bit earlier than I did um, probably about f around about 15 but I mean like even myself like I was bunking off about 50% yeah. of the time just going off and <laughs> by the time by the time by the time I was 16 I was in a grip of addiction oh yeah and at the age of 17 I was in prison so it couldn't have been I think two years after leaving school god you were rapid down the dark yeah path, I was um, I was in a I, I was actually we went on a, a YTS course in a, a place called uh, Boston in Lincolnshire and it was to be a trainee chef. Oh, right, okay. And it was to be on a ship called John Sue. And um, if I recall it, I think it took a, an ounce of weeds up with me. You know, sell this and <laughs> live the dream in Boston. <laughs> Shows it within a couple of days. Five pound fucking deals. Smoked a little bit. I think I smoked more than I sold. And then um, I ended up getting nicked up there for fucking grafting while I was working on, on this, doing this trainee thing. And but the YTS courses didn't pay you yeah, fuck all. Twenty seven pounds. It was think it was twenty seven pounds. We ended up in a fucking care home, right? But it was a mixed care home actually. 
right. a week. And I enjoyed it. Yeah. And it, when I went off a bail a week later, I refused it. And they went, we've got to, we've got to send you home. <laughs> Can I stay? I was like, what the fuck? You know what I mean? But, you know, that's, um, that's because I probably didn't, you know, I felt a little bit accepted or a little bit of part or something. Yeah, and you then got when to, to um, experience something different, yeah. When I went back to Liverpool, my mum and my dad had left speak without telling me where they'd moved to. So I had to, I knocked at the door, my man knows this, right? I knocked at the door and these strangers answered. I was like, where's my man? She said, she's moved. I'll take you to where they've moved if you want to. Put me in this car and, and took me up there. I like, fuck no. I didn't feel like I was loved. You know what I mean? It was just, that's the, the feelings that I was experiencing. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's done this, fuck him off. Don't tell him not, don't even tell him where we live. Jesus. I was a twat. Yeah. What was that? Well, I mean, you know, if, that's rough. Like, I mean, you, you had it rougher than I did. Yeah. I had my own problems, like, but uh, what was, I was going to tell you something funny, though. What the fuck was it about bunking off school? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was, yeah, wasn't asked about getting qualifications. So 50% of the time, I was just bunking off school with a few of the lads from the, our year. And uh, there was a house by um, Garston Station. Yeah. And this house was like, no one was living in there. And someone had found out from the school that it was empty. So everyone was just going there and sitting off in this, this fucking house. We'd all climb over this wall in the back, sit in this house. And there was loads of furniture in there. There was a telly. So we'd all sit and watch telly in this house. <laughs> and some of the lads were like, they were, they were having a crap on the floor and stuff like that, just thinking it was funny. Well, um, we, I mean, we didn't even think like, you know, someone's moved the furniture in. They're about to move in. Mm. <laughs> And fucking these lads from school sitting there watching the telly. Well, anyway, someone called the, the busies and then, um, you know, the police came, came around the back and shouted through, who's that in there? Get out, you know, and all this. So uh, I got arrested and we all got thrown in the van and stuff like, but that was just the kind of like typical stupid stuff that went on. Yeah. You know, it was, uh, it looks, it, there's an empty house. Let's just go in there and uh, sit on this person's couch and watch the telly and stuff, you know. Now you'd um, be charged with burglary, wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I remember sitting there with the uh, the, the the copper, the, the chief, whoever the hell he was, and he was looking at me dead sternly, like I, like I'd been caught burgling. And that, mm. that's it. He was trying to pin on me a burglary, and I, I don't think I think he really believed it. He thought mm. that we'd gone in there to burgle, and I was just like, no, we went in there to watch telly. Mm. And he was looking at me like I was a fucking liar. <laughs> yeah, it's not me. Funny times. You, you brought up a lot of stuff uh, from back back in the day, and. But going forward, what are you doing with yourself now, today? Well, I'm on a straight and narrow totally. I've been for years, but um, I've got a seven-year-old daughter now. And uh, as you know, it changes. How old's your little one now? He was one. one. so long ago. Yeah. yeah. I, saw, I saw you walking video of him yeah, on Facebook. He was, he was, he was yeah, he's a little bit. It's awesome. But it yeah. changes your view on things, I find. Definitely. You, you know, yeah. your different appreciation of life. So that that's changed me a lot. And uh, so I'm raising air. I haven't drank alcohol for over 18 months. I, I've lost interest in it. Um, bored with it, you know. Uh, the lockdown helps staying off the alcohol. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm due to move out soon. Um, I, I've been a little bit sort of held back on progressing because I had a big court case yeah. that went on for four years. Um, this, I've been fighting with this, this fucking company for uh, like fucking 10, 11 years. I, I made a documentary exposing the scam that they were running. And uh, they tried to sue me for 50 grand and um, and I defended that case and had some lawyers involved and all that. And this time I was suing them and it dragged on for four years before they finally settled. 
So um, that, that was kind of something in the background that I had to get sorted out. And now that that's sorted out, I can take all the money that I'd saved up over the years anyway. Mm. And um, I'm going to move out soon. And then I'm starting up a podcast to do a similar thing to you. So you'll be Brilliant. one of my first guests on. Looking um, forward to it. But yeah, I want to expand into loads of other things. Definitely the podcast thing. And I was thinking like, um, like you look at like Joe Rogan and all these shows yeah. and they're great and they have a lot of really interesting people on. And I do want to get on people who are like, you know, I want to get lots of intellectual people on and all and get all that so stuff. It's diverse. Yeah. That's what, that's, well, yeah. But this is the thing. I want to start getting more people on who no one fucking knows. Yeah. Just like characters from Liverpool who, who no one's ever fucking heard of who are dead interesting people because I know plenty of them. Yeah. And just like, is, is so-and-so. You, none of you all know this fucking guy, but yeah. he's dead interesting. And that's, <laughs> see, that's, that's, uh, the, the most interesting people are the ones that no one knows about. Yeah, yeah, often, yeah. To, often, yeah. Um, Call it Scousecast, or, uh, I was thinking of calling it, uh, what was it, at least it's not Bum Fights. Yeah. Do you remember Bum Fights? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought that'd be a good title. Well, for you've that. got the subscribers, <laughs> so hopefully uh, going, going forward, and I look forward to coming on. Yeah. Um, but we're coming to the end now, so I always say this, Rob, like, have you got any pearls of wisdom? Anything to say to the audience? What would you say? You know, any any bit of guidance, any ex- life experience? Okay, um, I mean, one of them I've already brought up is, and that is like, don't give a fuck about what other people think of you. You know, mm. it's just like, I mean, you do have to to a little bit of an extent, but the kind of people who want to hold you back and tell you that you can't do things or try and laugh at you if you fail at doing something, because I tried tons of shit over the years that mm. I failed at, but the more you fail, the more you learn. So I just got into the habit of failing. It was like, great, another failure. I can learn. What did I learn from that failure? Awesome, great. Let's have another failure. And then when the success has come, it's like, that's even sweeter, you know. Um, but yeah, if you've got people in your life who are messing you up, fucking you up, discouraging you, trying to bring you down, get rid of them. It's one of the best things I did was move away from, from Garston when I was Brilliant. younger. Yeah. I mean, n- no offence to all the, the, the lads from back then. They had the troubles. I had my troubles. I didn't said nasty things as well. But I needed to get out on my own away from that environment and fix myself up, and it was the best thing I ever did. Brilliant. So, um, And it, it can be family. It can be friends. It can be really close people who can be fucking you up. And I saw that over the years working in the mental health as well. A lot of people, they were messed up by who they had close to them. So that that would be probably the biggest thing that I'd advise to anyone, really. Brilliant. And um, with that, we'll um, we'll put all your socials on at the end of this video in the description. And what's your um, your YouTube ca- channel called? So well, the main the main one is called Collative Learning. C O L A T I V E. And I'll put that in the um, yeah. the description as well. Yeah. And with that, mate, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Great to see you, Billy. YouTube.